right, guys, good evening. How you guys doing? All right, well, some of you are still conversations, so how are we all doing tonight? Doing good? All right. Well, hey, uh, welcome back to The Gathering. We are in November of 2021. I can't believe it. This year is going incredibly fast, and we thought, what better way than uh, to close out th this fall session of The Gathering than, than talk about this little discussed topic called dating, right? Like, I know it's not on your minds. I know that none of you talk about it, so we're, we're going to bring it up, okay? We're going to force the conversation, um, but no, seriously, the, the reason we want to have this conversation is because it is probably the single uh, most consistent and uh, emotionally driven and uh, relationally scarring thing that we hear from uh, you guys. Um, and so when we bring up this topic of dating, like it, it, it's, it's not lost on us that there's probably, in general, three types of people in this crowd or watching online tonight. All right, there's the people in the crowd, and you probably know who you are. You're the people that when you saw the graphic pop up on social, you were like, yes. This is finally, they're gonna, finally gonna talk about it. I've been planning. I need a little bit of an encouragement to just finally ask her out, so this is gonna do it. Here we go, right? You've strategically placed yourself in the crowd tonight just for the late night party, and then it, you're, just, you're just fired up, all right? So there's that group. And then there's, and then there's the group that's probably sitting here tonight um, a little bit anxious because the, the, the topic of dating uh, is not just fun and games. Um, there involves a lot of, of stuff that comes with it, a lot of emotions, um, a lot of doubt that, hey, is this ever gonna happen for me? Maybe you've been in relationships in the past that have, that have caused a significant amount of hurt. And so as you listen to the, this idea of, hey, we're gonna talk about dating for the next four weeks, there's probably some anxiety and nervousness. And that is 100% okay. And then there's one more group of people, and those are the folks that maybe didn't come tonight and maybe have just stayed away. Or maybe you came here really begrudging, like, man, I, don't re I really don't wanna hear about this. It's too close to home. Because there has been significant hurt. There has been significant wounds that have, you, that have been caused or that you have caused or experienced. And so this topic Although we, we, we kind of joked that like, all right, here we go, single ready to mingle was our last one, you know? And, and uh, like, but maybe for you, it's like, I am not, I may be single, but I am not ready to mingle. Like, I want you to know that we're, we're preparing this series with all three groups in mind, all right? We're, we're, we're thinking through this, we're praying through it, and I hope that you feel um, that as, as we go through this, because the, the bottom line is, is dating is hard. It, it's just difficult. Um, because there, there, there's, of all the reasons I already said, but like there's just innate challenges that y'all deal with in this generation that my generation did not have to deal with. Uh, dating is complicated, right? Like we almost named this entire series, It's Complicated. Because it is, like, like just the conversations we have, right? The, 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 the histories we have, the fact that, that when you date now, it's kind of like dating in public, even when you don't wanna be in public. And so if you, if you go out with somebody, right, and, and everybody's excited for you, yay, you know, they comment on your post or heart your, your, your post or whatever, but then four or five, six weeks in or a month or two months, all of a sudden it's over, like, what do you do? Oh, no. Now your relationship has failed in front of the entire world, right? It's complicated. Then you throw on top of that just the fears, the natural fears of rejection, 
the natural fears of what if, what if no one will ever ask me out? What if, what if they ask me out and they don't like me? Right, those are value and identity things. And then you throw on top of the, the, the chaos, just, just, just the culture of sexuality that we live in and how pornography has weaved its way into the discussion and changed our view of the opposite sex. Like there's, it's just complicated. And, I, and so we go into this series, I go into it with a lot of excitement because I know this is something y'all talk about. I know this is something on your hearts, but I also want you to know that, that it is hard and there is a lot of noise out there. And so I hope that this, this series is not just helpful um, in terms of like actual practical things that you can put into practice, but I also hope that as we look through God's word, in, in this context of dating and relationships and marriage and all the things that, that it actually calms your heart. That there is a God who has given you desires. That there is a God who loves you and cares for you and he has seen every tear that has been shed. He has seen the woundedness, he has seen the hurts and he, and he is with you and he has got a plan for you. All right, and, and it may or, I'm not, and hear me say this, I am not saying y'all are getting married, all right? The majority of you probably will, but there are some in this room that will probably be like, that's just not what God has for you. And that's okay. Because marriage is not ultimate. It's good. It is not ultimate. The apostle Paul himself said, it is better not to get married. Because then I can be dedicated to the Lord. And so I, I want to I walk the line very carefully. I don't, I don't want to put marriage up as this idol that we tend to make it. But I also don't want to dismiss it of like, hey, it's not a big deal, don't pursue, because it's on our, it's, st- studies would say most of you in this room, over 90% have a desire for marriage. And that begins with dating. And so we're going to get into this, and I want to start, uh, th- tonight I'm going to be talking from a very high, high level, all right, like a 30,000 foot view. And over the last couple weeks, we'll get down into the weeds of some specifics. Because I know dating um, has a lot of nuance to it, Okay. I know marriage has a lot of nuance to it, and this is not a nuanced talk. So I'm gonna throw out some bigger ideas, some 30,000 foot ideas that like, if you wanna talk about it later, please come talk to me. Um, but here's the foundational truth that I want to build this entire series on. It is Colossians chapter one, verse 16. Paul says this, for in him, Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, All things have been created through him and for him. And the reason I wanna put this verse out there as our foundational verse is some of you all need to hear this very loud and clear. You were not created for some guy. And you were not created for some girl. You were created by God for him. Your identity as a person is not wrapped up in who asks you out. All right, it, that, is, that is so far from the way God has made you. But there's also this side that he has given us a desire of our heart, right? But we cannot get away from this truth that God has made you through him and for him. And so let's not get this twisted as we, as we talk over the next four weeks that your identity, your purpose, and your value is somehow wrapped up in the dating world, okay? I just wanna get that out on the front end. Because you... Um, you are dearly loved by God and he knows you. And we're gonna talk about it tonight. There are certain desires that he has given you that are good. 
And, I'm, and I, I don't wanna in any way confuse you of saying, hey, in order for you to be a complete human being and to be a complete Christian and live out God's purpose for your life, you have to be married. I ain't saying that. I never will say that. And so you need to hear that, is that you are complete regardless of what dates you may or may not go on. And God is working in all things, all right? He's working in all things, in your singleness. Usually, I'll kick off this series in the past with a whole, like, two weeks on just your singleness. Um, but we'll, we'll do that another time, probably next spring. But here's what I wanna do. Over the next four weeks, I wanna give you biblical principles for dating. Because the word dating is not in the Bible. Uh, it's, it's just not. That, that's not what they did back then. I mean, it was all arranged marriages. And like, some of you are like, mm, I'll take that. I'm like, that's better than nothing, Right? <laughs> But now that I'm a dad, I'm like 100% pro-range marriage. Like, I will, I, let me pick them. Like, I know all their baggage. I know all their annoyances. And so I need, you know, for this one, we need somebody with super patience. Like, you know, like, I'm a big fan. Um, but that said, what, what I wanna do is I wanna give you biblical principles because my assumption in this series is that no one in here desires to date so that they get married and then divorced. All right, so here's, here's what, what, what I, the, the assumption is, that you are in here, that you're listening online, and that you would choose a lifetime rather than a good time, right? It's not just a weekend filler. And I believe that's God's plan for marriage, that's God's plan for the dating experience that we have, is that he wants us to date and be married for a lifetime, not to make dating choices just for a good time. And so that's what we're gonna do, is we're gonna look at some biblical principles um, about that. And I wanna be just really honest with you as we get into this. Um, the, the, my heart behind this is a couple of things. I wanna be honest with you is that th this, this topic for me is one of those that I have a lot of insecurities with, teaching on, because it has been a long time since I've dated. And I am not in your season of life. And so my heart for you is really not as a peer at all. My heart for you as we go through this series is I want it to go well for you. I want you to experience the fullness of God in every season of your life. I want you to understand that whether you are single, whether you are dating, whether you are engaged, or whether you're married, or maybe you are divorced, wherever you are, God sees you, loves you, and is with you. And, his, and he has plans for you that are not situational, they're long-term. He's in it for the long game. And so my heart in this series is just, I just want it to go well for you. I wanna help you avoid some pitfalls that we see. I, wanna, I want you to help you get some, some guideposts of scripture, some principles that will help guide your journey. All right, so with, with all that out of the way, let me start with a, a little quick story about one of the worst decisions I ever made. It has nothing to do with dating, okay? I've made plenty of those. We'll get to those in the following weeks, okay? Um, but this particular, this happened my junior year of high school, and I grew up in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and it is cornfields and hogs as far as that I can see. There is nothing fun in Iowa, okay? And, uh, but there is this one place up in the northeast corner um, that's basically on the Mississippi River Valley, and it's a huge valley. And so in the wintertime in Iowa, that's where you go to ski, all right? It's big time. And so my 16th birthday, we went, I learned how to ski. And I was like, that was awesome. I've gone faster on skis than I've ever had in my life. I want more of that. Like adrenaline junkie Andy kicked into gear. I was like, this is amazing. And so I'm like, I started asking people, like, what's it like to go to Colorado? They're like, oh man, in Colorado, it could take 20 to 30, 40 minutes to get down the hill. I'm like, what? In Iowa, it takes 30 seconds. And so I was like, I've got to go skiing in Colorado. 
And so I started to keep my ear open for like, you know, who's going to Colorado? And guess who's going to Colorado? The, the high school swim team. At the end of the season, they celebrate their season by taking the whole team to Colorado. And I was like, sign me up. <laughs> Worst decision I've ever made. And here's why. I was on JV swim team. JV practiced at 5.30 a.m. Varsity and JV practiced after school. And so I did two days for four months. And I swam in two meets. So there was no reward for my hard work at all. I, was t I had to wear a Speedo. No one told me that. And so day after day as I swam, I was like, this is, what, what am I doing? Like, this is terrible. And then I, got, I finally got to go skiing and it was okay. I mean, it was just skiing. But because of the way I had gotten there, it wasn't as good as I wanted because here's, here's the truth, and this is where it translates to dating, is I was desperate, so I made a decision and it disappointed. And in dating, it's the same thing. When we become desperate, we start making decisions that will lead to disappointment because we try and push the envelope. We try and manipulate the situation. And then all of a sudden, as we go, we're like, oh no, this is not what I had planned. And we get to the end of that relationship or maybe we, we keep going and it's just like, oh, it'll get better. And, and we're just constantly disappointed. And so I think as, as, we, as we think about dating as a journey, we need to start not with the beginning, but the end. Like, where do you want to end up? No one goes on a road trip and says, you know what? Let's just start driving and see where we go. No, you have a destination of where you wanna go and then you make decisions to prepare for that destination. And so, as we talked this morning, I want to make sure that we are focusing on the end destination of what it looks like to date and the result of dating, which is marriage. Because I think in our culture today, what we, what we see the most is people are so focused on the dating experience that we forget why we're actually dating and that we're not actually preparing or thinking about the end goal. And that is to be married for a lifetime, not just a good time. And so I'm gonna give you a definition that we're gonna work with for the next four weeks of dating. Here's what dating is, the definition. Simple, an evaluation process to go through, not to stay in, all right? Dating is an evaluation process to move through, not to stay in. And I'll be honest, some of you are not gonna like the next four weeks because you probably are dating for a good time. You don't want to get married, but stick with me because your heart may change someday, all right? So let, let, let's, let's look at this idea of dating as an evaluation process. It's not, a, it's not something to put on our calendar, it's not something to keep us busy, it's not like, it is an evaluation process, so we have to figure out what are we evaluating? And that's why we have to look at the end of where we're going. Uh, author and speaker Jefferson Bethke says it this way, dating without the intent of getting married is like going to the grocery store without any money. You either leave unhappy or take something that isn't yours. And so if we start dating with no intent, it's, it's aimless. And you're never going to arrive at the destination that you don't even know that you have. And so we need to date with intention. So if, if the end goal of dating is marriage, like I'm already, I'm already telling my kids this, my 14 year old, I'm like, Will, what is the purpose of dating? He's like, to get married, dad. I'm like, bingo. So do you need to do this in middle school? No. Do you need to do this in high school? Probably not. 
College, maybe, we'll talk about it. But like, that's the end goal, right? Like, to get married. And some of us think back to our high school, and like, yeah, I wish I wouldn't have. Because we were not, that was not, we were just doing whatever. And so where do we start? The world would say that you start dating for a lot of different reasons. Maybe you're bored and you need something to do. Maybe you have insecurities that you're trying to overcome. Or maybe you're just chasing a feeling. Go get that feeling of being liked. Our world also tells us that you, can start, you should start dating because it will somehow solve your problems and because you have needs that need to be met. That's where the world that we live in tells you to start. Do you have an insecurity? Let's go take care of it. Get somebody to like you, your insecurity will be gone. Right? You're bored, need something to do? Jump on that app, find something to do this weekend. That's how the world would tell us to start. What I wanna offer is that God has a better way. And it's actually the way that you desire and that you want and will actually produce the destination that you want. And so the question maybe needs to change. Instead of starting with what do I want or what is my type, maybe we start with a different question. What does God want for me? What is God's desire for my life? Because then you start on a totally different trajectory with a totally different intent. And therefore, you will date totally differently. Because you're looking and evaluating for a lifetime, not just a good time. And as Christians, we look at God's purposes for marriage because it will impact. This is why we're starting tonight. And when we look at God's purposes for marriage, that's the end goal. It will change who you date, it will change how you date, and it will change even when you date. And that's what we're gonna cover the next three weeks. All right, so when we have the end in mind, then we can work our way back and say, all right, this changes who I'm looking at as a potential. This changes what we do and how we do things while we're dating, right? So here we go. We're gonna, this is not our typical. We're not gonna be in one text. We're gonna be all over the Bible. Uh, so if you got your pen, get ready. Here we go. My first point is that God's desire and purpose in marriage is for you to enjoy life with someone. Like it is okay to want that. It is okay to desire that. Because I believe when we look at God's word, God made us relational. He gave us a desire to be with people. He gave us an attraction to the opposite sex, right? Like he, he gave that to us. And we see this, uh, this idea of fellowship and companionship and, and mutual help and comfort right from the get-go in Genesis chapter two. All right, this is what the Lord uh, says in 2.18 of Genesis. He says, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. This is before the fall, okay? This is before the fall and something was missing. Adam was not complete, there was, there, there was something that was missing in Adam's life and it was a relationship because he knew, like, guys, get this. It was Adam and God, but there was something missing and it was relationship. And so he said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna fix this problem for Adam. So he saw Adam's need and he said, I'm going to give you someone to help you. And, and let's, not get, let's not get crazy on this word helper. Like this is the idea of, of helping complete to making something strong. Like Adam was not complete. He was weak in this. God just told him, hey, go work the garden. He just gave him, this is, this is what you should go do. Go work the garden and put everything under your submission and, and work it. And, and he said, you know what, but you need help. 
And so God brought along a partner for him to help him accomplish what God had told him to do. All right, it wasn't just companionship for companionship's sake. It was actually to help him live out the instruction and purpose of God in his life. In Ecclesiastes 9.9, I love, I love Solomon. He's, he's, he's good, but Ecclesiastes is kind of a downer, right, if you've ever read it. A lot of meaningless things in Ecclesiastes. But Ecclesiastes 9, this is what Solomon says. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. <laughs> Thanks, Solomon. <laughs> right, like, even in his depression, he's like, go enjoy it. I know life is hard, life is difficult, and it, it seems meaningless, but go enjoy life with your spouse. And so I think God created marriage that we might enjoy life with someone. And so to have that desire is not a bad desire at all. I think it's a God-given desire. The second point tonight is that God's desire and purpose in marriage is, is uh, to shape you spiritually, for you to be shaped spiritually that God would use your relationship, whether that's in dating or ultimately in marriage, that he would shape you in a spiritual sense. Like marriage has a sanctifying effect on both marriage partners when they submit to God's law and to one another. Romans 8.28, we quote this all the time. But tonight I'm gonna add in Romans 8.29. Listen to this. Paul says, and we know that in all things, right, in our singleness, in our dating, in our engaged, in our married, in our divorced season of life, wherever you are, God works all things for the good of those who love him, who are, have been called according to his purpose. Verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And so marriage is designed to help sanctify you. And that word sanctify means to mature you and grow you to be holy, to be like Christ. And so as you, again, think about this, when you start thinking about who you go on a date with, who you ask out, who you say yes to, keep this in mind. The end goal is marriage. And one of God's purposes is to use this person to form you spiritually. That's an important thing to understand and know. I can't tell you the, the, the shock I had when I realized this in my marriage. Like I did not, like the, I didn't hear any of these talks, by the way, when I was your age. I was just going in blind. Like most of my dating life was just, I just wanna get the prettiest and funniest person I know to date me. That was pretty much my filter. By God's grace, he gave me a whole lot more than I was looking for. But when I think about the ways that my wife has spir helped spiritually form me Man, I got a whole list. Like, she has helped me with empathy. Left to my own devices, I am an unempathetic, compassionate person. I'm like, suck it up, deal with it. Like, that is, that's how I wake up. But I am married to a very compassionate and empathetic woman. And so she has taught me and helped me over our 17 years to become more empathetic. And so I cry more now. I never thought that would happen. But God has used her in my life. She is, God's used her to teach me patience. Because I realized when I, was, when I was single, I could do whatever I want, when I wanted to do it, how I wanted to do it. But that's not how she functions, so I be more patient. And probably one of the most incredible things that she has taught me and that God has used her to teach me is what it means to experience grace. 
Because before I was married, I never willingly confessed sin. But when I've confessed sin to my wife, knowing that it would hurt her, knowing that she would be disappointed, she has shown me grace and she has forgiven me. And it has radically changed how I view God's grace. And God used my spouse to do that. And lastly, if you're in our Sunday school class, you know for sure she has changed my love for God's word. She loves the Bible. And so watching her study, listening to her process, I'm like, man, I didn't know that. I wanna know that. And so I believe God's word teaches us that your spouse is going to help form you spiritually. And so as you go on dates, as you think about who to accept a date from or not, like this is part of it. And that's why it's so incredibly important to not pursue happiness for happiness sake, but holiness. God, what do you want for me? Does God want you to be happy? I don't know. Does he want you to enjoy life and life to the full? Absolutely. Happiness is fleeting. Joy is permanent. And holiness, walking in, 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 a, in a relationship where there is a mutual sharpening spiritually, there is nothing more joyful than that. When two simple people are trying to create life together, they must submit to God's command to love each other as God has loved us selflessly. And so in this, in this idea of sharpening someone or helping shape someone, and we'll get to this when we talk about who, who, who we should be dating. There's this, there's this word called humility that is maybe the most valuable um, characteristic in, a, in, a, in someone you date, is that they would be willing to allow someone to help shape them. That they don't live life with just like, well, this is who I am, you, you knew who you were married. Like, no, I didn't. I didn't know you were that big of a jerk, right? Like, like, that's how it happens, right? When we date, we put on an advertising campaign. And so finding someone with genuine humility so that God can use them and use us to shape them spiritually. Because God's will in Romans eight twenty nine is that we would all be conformed to the image of Christ. So when we think about dating, we have to think about marriage. And when we think about marriage, we have to think about the whole journey, including spiritual formation. Next, God's desire and purpose in marriage is for you to raise children. Now I wanna make a quick side note on here. I know this is one of those moments where I wanna talk about nuance, all right? I know there's nuance to this idea, but we see it in scripture, so we have to talk about it. All right, here's, here's uh, Genesis 1, 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. He blessed their marriage. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And then after the flood in Genesis 9, God says again to Noah, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This was God's original design to populate the earth. Let's just talk biological fact. This was God's design to create people. And as Christians, I think it's also a part of our DNA is like, all right, go be fruitful. Raise faithful children. 
And if you find yourself someday in that seat where you can't have children, then raise faithful children around you. Serve, care for the orphan, right? There's opportunities. And so this idea that part of God's purpose and desire for marriage is to, for us to raise children, we see it through scripture. In Psalm 127, verse four and five, it says, like children or like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So there's an idea that we are called as human beings, one, biologically, this is how we populate the earth, right? But as Christians, there's a different twist on it, is that we are to have children and like build our own discipleship ministry. Like I'm gonna raise faithful children who love the Lord. And so that they can go out and be the salt and light to their school and to their team and to the college campus they go to or whatever. And so it's also a discipleship strategy for the Christian. Next, God's desire and purpose in marriage is for your enjoyment of intimacy. I chose intimacy instead of sex just because I just wanted to <laughs> use a different word, but that's what we're talking about. Right, in Ephesians 5, it says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. What do you think Paul is talking about? Right? We are created relational. And God has created an institution in marriage where you can have a healthy and God-honoring sexual relationship. That is his design. Guys, God created sex. It is a wonderful, wonderful gift. Like I think, I, like at least I grew up in this purity culture where it's like it's dirty and bad all the time. Don't even think about it. You're going to hell. And I've shared stories from this stage of the woundedness of my youth pastor back in the day talking to me. And so I don't want to ever paint for you a picture that sex is bad. Sex is a wonderful invention of God to connect two human beings to become one. And there is. Like, I love that science is catching up with what God has done, right? They, they've discovered that when, when two people uh, have sex, that there are um, endorphins released, chemicals released in the brain that are specifically designed for long-term connection. And so no wonder when we, when we engage in those things before we're married, before there's a lifelong commitment, it hurts because God's design is for a lifetime, not a good time. I love that we serve a God that created this relationship where we can have a, a, an honoring sexual relationship that is safe, that is secure, and that is fulfilling way beyond the world's definition of what that, what that is. You see, what our world loves to do is distort and pervert what God has said is good. And, they, and our world uses it as a punchline instead of the most intimate thing that two human beings can experience together. Of course Satan would go after that. And say, I'm gonna take this, the very thing that will populate the earth, and I'm gonna use it as a punchline, as a hobby, and as a habit. Something to be done and thrown away. God designed sex, man, it's, it's one. Have you ever read Song of Solomon, anyone? Like, you need to read Song of Solomon. I never said this when I was a student pastor. I didn't wanna get their minds going. But like, if you are not convinced that sex is something that God created and is good, go read Song of Psalm. 
You may have to pull out a little you know, dictionary to be like, what are they talking about there? But it is, it's significantly intimate. All right, so God created this. The, the way that, the, I, I, I described this, again, when I had the talk with two of my children so far, here's the way I would describe it to them, is like, guys, um, a fire in a fireplace is fantastic. It serves a purpose. It's warm and cozy, and you're like, hey, this is, this is what it was meant to do. It's supposed to warm the room. But fire outside of where it's supposed to be only destroys and so I think when we think about sex, when we think about dating, we have to look at it from a standpoint of how did God intend it? And then we treat it in such a way that honors God's intention. Now, I would be foolish not to believe, because I'm one of them, that some of us have not made mistakes or we have regrets in this area of our life. To you, I would say, there is grace. And to you, I would say God is a God of redemption and renewal. He is not a God of condemnation. I will always go back to the story of the woman who was caught in adultery that I shared just a couple weeks ago in the Influencer series. Jesus' response to someone who was caught in the act was, I do not condemn you, go and sin no more. Right, Paul says in Romans 7, why do I do the things I do not wanna do? The things I don't wanna do, I do. The things I, I, I do wanna do, I don't do. And he's just in this spiral of shame. I don't know what he did, but he says, but thanks be to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then Romans 8, 1, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So I am not speaking condemnation on you tonight. I wanna pass on to you the grace and redemption of Christ. That he is there to receive you, to forgive you, and then send you. Anew, regardless of what has happened in the past, or maybe currently. But he calls us to a place of purity, not out of micromanaging our life, but because he's a good father who has good things for us. And a part of that is a safe and fulfilling and secure sexual relationship with your spouse. The other thing that I think God desires, including our enjoyment, is also a protection. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 2, now for the matters you have wrote about, it is good for a man, a single, that's a singular man, not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. And so not only is it a gift to be cherished, it is also a protection. Because Paul's like, listen, I know the world you live in. I know. So husbands and wife, let's, let's get after it. Help each other out here. I think about it, that's what Paul's saying. Go get after it. Help out your wife, help out your husband, right? And so it's a protection against the temptations that we find ourselves in. And I would be remiss if I didn't say this, and we'll probably hit on this again, but marriage is not a cure, but a protection for sexual sin, okay? There are way too many people that believe that, well, if I just get married, this will stop. That is not the case. That's what your season of singleness is for to get under control, to put to death all that is earthly and fleshly in us, right? That we would get our house in order so that as you walk down the aisle, you husband and wife walk out saying, I've given you a gift. I've done the hard work of getting rid of this addiction. I've done the hard work of seeking uh, reconciliation. I've done the hard work of, of finding forgiveness and moving forward in God's grace. Because I heard this line a long time ago and I've never forgot. There are no such thing as marriage people problems. 
There are, there are single people problems that we bring into marriage. And so in, our, in your season of singleness, let's, let's, let's get our stuff in order, right? Because God has created a wonderful gift in sex, but I think it is very much like a fire in a fireplace. There is a place for it where it is perfect and it serves its purpose well. But outside of that, it brings destruction. For a moment it's warm and then it destroys. Lastly, God's desire and purpose in marriage is to simply remind you of the love of God. To remind us and reflect the relationship between Christ and his church. In Ephesians 5, Paul does this really strange thing. He's talking about marriage, and then he starts talking about Jesus and the church. Follow me here, listen to this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Guys, gentlemen, verse 27 is how you should date, all right? Verse 27, that you would present her as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. Gentlemen, I, don't, I can't tell you how many girls I've talked to who have been hurt more by Christian men than non-Christian men, and it's time to knock it off. That you are to pick up the mantle which, which you've been given. That you are a son of the most high and you are to treat the daughters of the king better. That was a side note, verse 28. <laughs> In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 29, after all, no one ever hated their own body, but they, fit, they, they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body for this reason. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Paul takes this conversation and says, well, okay, I'm gonna bring two crazy ideas together, that your marriage would reflect the love of Christ. And so we look at how Christ has loved us, the church, and it gives us a model for how we are to be married, that we would care for one another, that we would love, that we would give up ourselves for the sake of our spouse. And so marriage is a reminder every day of God's love for you individually and collectively as the body of Christ. And so when we start thinking about God's purposes in marriage, I hope maybe for the first time you start to think about dating differently. That if the end goal is marriage and God's God's purpose and desire is for you to enjoy life with someone, be shaped by that someone and conform to Christ, that you would raise children with that person, that you would enjoy intimacy with that person, and that that person, the way they love you, would remind you of the love of Christ. Then all of a sudden, our dates look different. Our yeses and our noes look different. The Bible doesn't talk about dating, but it gives us principles to make decisions by so that we don't find ourselves doing two-a-days in a pool for four months 
and you're like, oh, what have I done? And so what do we do with this? I wanna offer three things tonight, as I typically do. As we get into this series, I would ask you maybe tonight or this week just to, just to marinate on this idea of evaluate how you think about dating. How do you think, when you think about it, what do you think? Right, what's the emotion that comes up and why does that emotion come up? Right, if it's, if it's, if it's joy and excitement, why, why is there joy and excitement? If, if there's anxiety, if, there's, if it tweaks every insecurity you have, if it, if it tweaks the fear that what if it never happens for me? Like, evaluate yourself and how you think about dating. Because I think when we start digging a little bit, we might start to realize that maybe we have some, some hangups. Maybe we have some hurts and some fears that we need to deal with before we actually move forward in a relationship. So evaluate how you think about dating. Number two, evaluate how you've dated. Like evaluate yourself a little bit. And, and if you have a really close friend, bring them in on this process. Like, hey, let's, let's look at my past relationships. Can you tell me what I'm not seeing? Because some of us have not dated well. And maybe you know it, but maybe you don't. And maybe your friend might see, somebody in your small group or whatever might see like, hey, you have a tendency to do this. Like you, you love the chase, but once you catch, you're like, I'm done. I'm done, right? You, like that, there's a lot of guys out there like that. And so we need to evaluate how we date. What can the past inform of our present and our future? So be, keep those things on your mind these next four weeks. How do you think about dating? How have you dated? And then lastly, I wanna offer you a prayer to pray as you maneuver this journey of dating. Psalm 25, the whole chapter is amazing. But specifically, verses four and five. Let this be your prayer, because this is my prayer for my life and in whatever season I'm in. But let this be your prayer currently in your, in your, in your season of singleness or dating, wherever you're at. Here's the words. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my savior, and my hope is in you all day long. And everything in that may not be true of you. Maybe your hope isn't in him all day long. Ask God to change that. God, would you take my eyes off a relationship status as my hope and put it squarely on you. God, would you teach me your ways, not the world's ways, not my mom's ways, not my best friend's ways. Would you teach me your ways? Would you guide my path and help me to trust you, Lord, my savior? Because gathering, God loves you. He has not forgotten you. He is not unaware. He is absolutely aware. It's our humanness, it's our flesh that says, God has forgotten me. Maybe God doesn't know, maybe he won't forgive me. He knows, and he is with you. And so my encouragement is go to him, walk with him. Ask him to show you his ways for your life. Not the expectations of everybody else. Because it's clear to me that God created marriage for our good, to enjoy life with someone to promote a healthier society, to remind us of God's love for us and to promote holiness in our lives. And if that's God's intention, then it changes how we date. 
It changes who we date. So would you consider over the next several weeks this idea that the end goal of dating is a God-honoring marriage? And to, and to end up there, we must date differently than the world's way. Would you consider that? Marinate on that. And then we'll pick it up next week um, and we'll get down a little bit more into the weeds. We're gonna leave this psalm up on the screen so that during our 120 seconds, you can just have a moment, maybe spend some time praying Psalm uh, 25, four and five. Let me pray. God, I wanna thank you for this, for this night, God. Thank you for this topic as, as maybe toxic or triggering or joyful as it is. Lord, because you've made us relational. You've given us desires naturally that, that we want to be um, first with people. And then for most of us, we wanna be with that one, that one person. And so Lord, I pray that you would help us navigate these waters with care. I pray you'd help us navigate these waters with wisdom, but not our wisdom or this world's wisdom, but yours. That we would date well, so that then we would then marry well. And we would have a life and a relationship that would be honoring to you and pleasing to you. Um, and in doing so, live under your blessing. We praise things in your name, amen.